News Talk 1110 and uh, 99.3 WBT. Pete Callender here, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. You can email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com on Twitter at Pete Callender, where, yes, once again, I am fighting apparently with another leftist from NC Politics. It's happening right now on Twitter. I'll give you an update. I'll give you the blow-by-blow. It has to do with a hilarious uh, poll that (laughs) just came out, (laughs) which is actually, this is in keeping with other polls I have seen for years on the topic of education funding. Um, There is, uh, just like with COVID and your risk of dying from it, there is a wild misperception of uh, what we spend on education versus reality. Right? This this belief that we spend X amount of dollars on educating kids when we actually spend X plus Y amount of money educating the children. So, uh, I, and I, I will get to that uh, later on in the program. Let me get to this email from John. Uh, subject line, Mandel Bomb. Mandel Bomb. The syndicated red-eye radio guys overnight have been promoting that like your votainer. It's just perfect, and Biden upped his izzy with the SOB comment. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a great, it is, it's a great analogy. He is the character, it's perfect. Um, Even if Red Eye Radio uh, was doing it first, I am happy to aid in their cause. Hopefully they will aid in my cause, although that's generally not how it happens. Votainer, got to make it happen. Top vote getter, going to replace the term. We don't like the term. Replace it with votainer, the person that make that gets the most amount of votes in an election. It's not a vote getter; it's a votainer. Okay, I mean, really, because vote getters that's a made up word, also. So, if we're going to be making up words like that, I mean, does anybody else, aside from the, you know, the the platform getter, does anybody use the term getter? Nobody uses the okay, Larry the Cable Guy. Like that's it, though. Nobody else uses this this word, this term. So. Just it's it has insinuated itself into our election coverage and it has to stop. It has to stop. New report claims that Hunter Biden and a former aide to Joe Biden invested in a Chinese company with ties to the Chinese Communist Party. The Blaze.com's Paul Saka reporting in 2009 after Obama won when Biden's stock increased, right? Because now he's vice president, his political stock. U.S. investment firm Rosemont Seneca Partners was founded by Hunter Biden, son of Joe. Uh, Christopher Hines, also stepson of former Secretary of State John Kerry, also uh, part of the founding uh, partners there, and a fellow by the name of Devon Archer, or Devin Archer, an American businessman who was classmates with Heinz at Yale University. According to emails reviewed by Fox Business, Rosemont Seneca Partners held a 5% investment stake in Harvest. It's, it's like Harvest, but no T. Harvest, Harves, Harvey's, Harvest, Harves. Harvest Amusement Parks. Okay, they had a 5% investment stake in Harvest Amusement Parks. And ownership in Harvest Sports and Entertainment. And they had this 5% investment and ownership stake in these enterprises as recently as March of 2017. 
a purported email exposing the ownership interests of Rosemont Seneca Advisors was allegedly sent to Hunter Biden by Eric Schwerin, Hunter Biden's longtime business partner. So this is, this is a separate business partner. Okay, so you got Rosemont Seneca Partners, and that's Kerry and Biden and this other guy, um, Archer. And then you've got Hunter Biden, who, who does, he has a separate business partner named Schwerin. The report alleged that Hunter's original introduction to the Harvest Group arrived in 2015 by a fella named Francis Person, who served as an advisor to then-Vice President Biden through the Obama tenure from 09 through 2014, so a term and a half. This was Biden's advisor, Francis Person. Person became the president of Harvest Group in 2015. By May of 2018, three years later, Person becomes the co-founder of Harvest Global Entertainment. Okay, so look, this is, it's obvious to me what's going on. You got Harvest, he's, you know, planning the exit, right? Starts working on the exit strategy in 2015. Because that's, that's what people who work for politicians, when they know the politician is, you know, term limited or they're on their way out or something, you know, they, they got to find where their next gig is going to be. And so this is where, you know, what Democrats do is they go right from the, and Republicans as well, they go right from their elected uh, position, they go whoop, right into the private sector and uh, try to monetize and, 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 you know, make money off of those connections and that experience. So this Francis person, person reportedly wrote an email to Hunter, which invited him to travel to China to meet his business partner. I know there's a lot of names I'm throwing around, but this guy's name is Bozang. Bozang. Bo Zhang and his family would host us, said Francis Person. They are a great family with great respect and relationships in China. This was in the email. Bo Zhang graduated from American University and in his late 20s, and his parents own Harvest Century Group of Shenyang, which is a top-tier private Chinese real estate development firm. And whenever I say a private Chinese firm, just think... <coughs> According to the purported email, Person highlighted that Zhang was being groomed to take over the family's dynasty and that, quote, there will be plenty of big things that come down the road that we can work on. His mom is actually chairman of the company. This is a really big deal because she's a woman in China. Bo Zhang's father-in-law is uh, a senior member of the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, Central Committee, that is the party's highest organ of authority pretty powerful guy that's Bo's father-in-law okay the mom Jenglo Shao uh, her name comes up in FEC filings as the maxed out donor to Francis Persons failed campaign against Mick Mulvaney yeah a maxed-out donor to Person's failed campaign. So Francis Person apparently ran against Mick Mulvaney. 2016? I wasn't following the race. I, I don't know. Zhang also was a maxed-out donor to Person's campaign. Schwerin and Hunter Biden both donated $2,700. So they were funneling money to Francis Person in this campaign against uh, Mick Mulvaney. In Person's alleged email to Hunter Biden, he notes that Harvest is partnering with NBA legends Magic Johnson and LeBron James to, quote, host an NBA global game in China. 
Interesting. Maybe there's a reason here why, I don't know, some folks in the NBA haven't been too keen on uh, yelling at China about the genocide and such. The partnership between NBA China and Harvest included an opening six NBA-themed entertainment centers across China, the first opening by 2022. Again, to uh, uh, one of the callers earlier points, I forget who it was, I think it was Ryan who said, like, Let's just play everybody's favorite game. Imagine if it was a Republican, let alone Donald Trump. Right. The, the the streets would be running with blood from all of the exploded heads in media uh, and Democrat circles. But I repeat myself. <clears throat> Mentioned Donald Trump. Well, several times, actually. Uh, but imagine if, you know, Trump or his kids were engaged in the kind of behavior that Hunter Biden has been engaged in. Um it would be a major story, and we all know why it's not a major story. Um, but I did mention Trump, and I feel the need to update you on uh, the story that uh, kind of uh, I went over yesterday. Now, I'm not saying that the former president listens to this show. I'm not saying that. Definitely want to be clear about that. I'm not saying that. However, after I spent a good bit of time yesterday giving coverage to that Politico article... You know the one. So Politico did the article about how Donald Trump may be looking to do more endorsements in races. And one of the races specifically mentioned was Ted Budd versus uh, Pat McCrory and Mark Walker. And uh, there are a number of other candidates in it, Eastman. And uh, we're actually going to talk with one of them tomorrow, John Warren. Uh, So there are a bunch of other candidates that are running for the Republican nomination. Um... And uh, this was part of that Politico piece that said Trump was thinking about endorsing more than one candidate per contest. This way it doubles his chances of winning, and he's not really sure who to trust. He's surrounded by all these advisors and who has financial links to whom and all this other stuff. Um, Now, that story was, I want to say, I want to say it was like a week or so ago that Politico first put that story out. I think it was about a week ago, but I used the... Uh, the interview that I did with Pat McCrory as a way to bring that story up. And so uh, I covered it yesterday for the first time. And then within hours after I covered it, President Trump put out a statement. Again, I'm not saying that, that he listens to this show. I'm not saying that he's responding to this program. <clears throat> I'm just saying it's coincidental that he put out his statement after I spoke about it for the first time and uh, other outlets had reported it and had been focused on it for a couple of days and there wasn't any statement from Trump on it. But when I did it, it was coincidentally when he put the statement out. But I'm not saying he listens to the show. Okay, so here's the statement uh, by Donald J. Trump, 45th President of the United States of America. Quote, Ted Budd, who I endorsed many months ago for the U.S. Senate, is now leading the pack in North Carolina. He is the true America first fighter who stands strong for the Second Amendment, fights for our great military and law enforcement, and has tremendous courage fighting against the woke mob who wants to destroy America. I am proud of him, and he is going to win big. Ted Budd is the only U.S. Senate candidate in North Carolina who has my complete and total endorsement. There you go. So just want to clear that uh, clear that up in case there was any confusion. He is not going to make another endorsement. 
But he, I mean, but he might. You never. I mean, you just look. You don't ever know. It's one of the things I try to tell everybody when we start talking about uh, elected officials, politicians, and such. And uh, you know, like sometimes I use the term politician, yes, as a derogatory. Sometimes I use the word media as derogatory. It's, it's true, you know. But generally speaking, uh, you know, I, I use it as a cohort, as a class. But I will tell you, politicians are just like everybody else. It's like stars. When you see these, you know, like, was it People Magazine? Like stars, they're just like us. Or celebrities, they're just like us. They are. Politicians, they're going to break your heart at some point. Right? If you give your heart to a politician, they're going to break it at some point. It's going to happen. Okay? So just be prepared. It's why you shouldn't do it. Because they are just people. They are, they're going to make mistakes. And as a politician, they're going to make more than your normal average person does. No, I'm kidding. Not really. But the, they're going to make mistakes, and when they do, it's going to break your heart. So if you just don't get that wedded to them, wedded, wed, you don't get that attached to them, then, um, you know, the heartbreak won't be as bad. All right? I'm just looking out for your feelings here. Well, I'm trying to. Um, In a much-criticized press conference, you'll recall President Biden said the legitimacy of the upcoming midterm elections could depend on Democrats passing a federal takeover of elections. Quote, I'm not saying it's going to be legit. The increase in the prospect of being illegitimate is in direct proportion to us not being able to get these reforms passed. That's what he said regarding the upcoming election. That's what Biden said, that the prospect of being illegitimate is in direct proportion to the failure to pass the nationalization of elections that the Democrats were trying to do and blow up the filibuster in service to that end. Okay, They did not blow up the filibuster. They did not get their nationalization of elections bill passed. Uh, So that did not happen. So by the standard that Biden laid out, the prospect of being illegitimate is now essentially as great as it could be because those things didn't pass. The bill did not pass. Oh, my goodness. All right, so, I'm sorry, this person I'm debating just... You ever get into a discussion with somebody, they make an original point, they then try to shift away from that point because they feel like, you know, that's not a good point that they were making, and then they jump to another point, but in doing so... They completely prove the original point for you. Yeah, that's where I'm at. <laughs> I will go over this. I promise you. I will go over this. I'm going to do it after the 2 o'clock uh, interview with, uh, I think we've got Tim Moore, the Speaker of the House. We usually do. Tuesdays at 2 with Tim. So um, I, I anticipate that happening at 2 o'clock. And uh, it is National School Choice Week. So... Uh, And this argument I'm having has to do with the school choice stuff. So we'll get into that after 2 o'clock. Oh, I just saw this as well. There was uh, breaking news. Michael Avenatti, who Democrats and media, but I repeat myself, were oh so excited was going to run for president. He was totally going to beat Donald Trump. He was going to beat him in court. He was going to take all his money, and he was going to cause him to get left by uh, Melania, and uh, and then he was going to get impeached over it. He was going to go to prison. Michael Avenatti. Michael Avenatti. Yeah, he just dumped his public defenders in court. So now he's going to represent himself, thereby proving the axiom of the person representing himself as a, uh, as a moron for an attorney. Uh, 
So he's, uh, this is the, uh, the case Stormy Daniels, who just for the record, I, I do believe that Trump had the affair with her. But I don't think that's in question. Right? So, uh, uh, but apparently uh, she says he stole, or Avenatti stole $300,000 from her. And uh, she is uh, suing him. And so now he just dumped his public defenders and he's going to represent himself. And it means that Avenatti is going to be cross-examining her when she takes the stand tomorrow. Actually, these are crimi- I believe these are criminal charges. Right, I guess that... Yeah, 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 because the 300K, right, this isn't civil, this is criminal. Um, So he is going to represent himself, which means he cross-examines her. That's tomorrow. All right, so Dallas Woodhouse, former chairman of the North Carolina Republican Party, now works at uh, the John Locke Foundation uh, and the Carolina Journal, and uh, he has a piece on the Democrats' playbook on delegitimizing elections. Because... uh, Joe Biden, his comments the other day, calling into doubt the credibility of the elections, uh, this is not new. Okay, I've been tracking this stuff with Democrats for two decades in North Carolina and beyond. I mean, the most recent examples, obviously, everybody knows these. You know, Hillary Clinton made comments about this. Um, Stacey Abrams still has not conceded, by the way, still has not said that that was a legitimate election in Georgia. Right. You've got Joe Biden's comments. Kamala Harris refused to walk it back either. Um, But in North Carolina, Democrats have been attempting to delegitimize elections for uh, for a while. And again, the most recent example, 2020, when they sued in order to change all of the rules. And I thought that. um, Yeah, here it is. Dallas Woodhouse made a fantastic point. For elections to be viewed as legitimate by all sides, you have to have a clear set of rules. The rules have to be determined in advance, and both sides have to be held accountable equally for following those rules. If you don't have these three things, I would submit, in agreement with Woodhouse here, you you don't have legitimacy to the elections if you if you've got and by the way this is a this is a a left and right problem this is on both sides of the political aisle you've got usually the polling that i've seen over the years and it dissipates over time but generally right after their people lose their candidates lose they think the elections are stolen more than half, I think it was like two-thirds of memory serves, two-thirds of uh, Hillary Clinton supporters believe that Russia stole the election for Trump. And now you got like roughly the same proportion, say the same thing, that the Democrats stole the election for Joe Biden. Because there isn't legitimacy because of the actions that people like Mark Elias, the Democrat super lawyer, um, working for Eric Holder, funneled a bunch of money into, you know, uh, uh, North Carolina Supreme Court Justice Anita Earls' campaign, and now she's going to be deciding on election law cases. I'm sure there's nothing to see there. If you want to cast doubt on the legitimacy of elections, Woodhouse writes, you change election laws in the middle of the game, which is precisely, by the way, what Democrats did in 2020. Literally, as early voting was underway, They changed election law. And now they said they did it to keep everybody safe, right? 
even though we knew that in Wisconsin, when they had the uh, in-person voting, that there was not some super spreader event occurring at the polling places. We knew this, but it didn't matter. All that mattered was making sure that the most neurotic and anxiety-ridden people were placated. That's what mattered the most, right? So we had to upend all of the election rules beyond what the General Assembly changed. Because remember, the, the General Assembly did change election law in the, uh, the weeks prior to the election because they recognized pandemic will make some changes, but it's a one-time only deal. And then Democrats said, not good enough. We want more rules to be changed. And the lawsuits proceeded. They entered into a collusive agreement with the Board of Elections. They cut out the General Assembly, which was listed as a defendant in the case, by the way. But they cut them out of the settlement, and they agreed to change the rules, which then brought more uh, litigation. This undermines credibility, just like when voters say, hey, we want a voter ID. This is a wildly popular thing among all demographic groups. Every cohort that they poll always say, a majority, always say, we want voter ID, even Democrats. Yet it is still fought. We are still fighting this right now. It is going to the uh, state Supreme Court because they are arguing, the NAACP is arguing that the legislature never had the right to send the measure to the voters in the first place because of the districts. Because the legislative districts were drawn to give them a majority, and so therefore anything that that body passes, even if it was a referendum that came to us and we approved it, doesn't matter. you got to get rid of it. So no voter ID. This is the argument that they're, uh, they're making and hoping that the Democrats on the uh, state Supreme Court agree. And Woodhouse says, look, this is not to say that Trump and some of his allies have not done their part to delegitimize election results, even in places with little or no evidence of serious contest-changing issues. But Republicans and Trump are being held to account for this by the media and by voters, as they should be. It is time for Democrats and their allies to be held to account for delegitimizing elections as well. Now, I'm not holding my breath, by the way, on this, but this is sound advice. This is one of my biggest beefs, and it's why I keep calling it the nationalization of the elections bill rather than a voting rights bill, because you don't hold Democrats accountable by adopting their language and advancing their narrative in a a particular political battle, which is precisely what the media has done. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I got a uh, message here from uh, the pastor at First Baptist Church of Cornelius, David Judge. Uh, Reverend Judge says, uh, could you please mention we're doing a free drive-through COVID testing at First Baptist in Cornelius uh, today and Thursday. All right, so 9 a.m. until 4 p.m. today and Thursday. It's at 21007 Catawba Avenue, Cornelius. It is a PCR test and 72 hours or less for results. All right, so uh, there you go on that. Um, The Supreme Court going to be uh, hearing two legal challenges to the admissions policies at Harvard University and... University of North Carolina. The group leading the challenges, called Students for Fair Admissions, or SFFA, 
claims that the universities, quote, discriminate against Asian American and white applicants by employing race conscious admission policies. These cases, there are two different cases, one against, uh, you know, uh, each school. Uh, They're going to be combined and decided together. The Supreme Court consolidated them for oral argument, and um, they will be argued in the uh, early in the 2022-23 term, according to the website SCOTUS blog, which stands for Supreme Court of the United States. Associate Vice Chancellor for University Communications, Beth Keith, University of North Carolina's Associate Vice Chancellor uh, for, gosh, that's quite the title. Uh, anyway, she told CampusReform.org that, quote, we look forward to defending the university's holistic admissions process before the U.S. Supreme Court. As By the way, this is because um, Asian Americans are underrepresented in these elite schools. Uh, like Ivy League schools. Like Harvard is the, the classic example. I'm not sure about UNC. Not that I... I'm not calling it elite, like in a, it's de- not on a level with Harvard. But th- this is the problem, is that when you use race, you're going to then, you know, set up these quotas and whatever the best intentions were behind the programs, there are people who are harmed by those policies. And if you are abiding by federal discrimination codes on this stuff, then how do you justify not admitting a minority, Asian, Americans? How do you, how, how do you not allow... Asian Americans to be represented at a proportion that is, I don't know, you know, uh, comparable to their app, uh, the, the the population of their applicant pool. I mean, honestly, like they if you're if you're basing it off of merit and not race, a lot more Asians are getting in, and that's not happening. So that's why they're suing. Um, and so then it's it's kind of interesting these. Uh, Asians find themselves in a pretty tricky spot on because on matters like these, they get lumped into the category of white. <laughs> white adjacent is what they've been called. I'm not kidding. It's what they. It's what the left will call them. Is white and the woke. They'll call them white adjacent. Because you know whatever. Because whatever the argument needs to be for the given moment is what it needs to be in order to you know win that particular argument. Now, campus reform spoke with Edward Blum. Um, who said, we are grateful the Supreme Court accepted these important cases for review. He is the president of SFFA that sued. It's our hope that the justices will end the use of race as an admissions factor at Harvard, at UNC, and all colleges and universities. Campus Reform spoke with Kenny Zhu. He's the president of Color Us United, and he is a leading proponent of the effort in the lawsuits. He said, quote, if schools continue to go down this road and penalize the most excellent people, you're going to eliminate quickly the culture of excellence in America that keeps us competitive and running, which I'm not sure anybody told Kenny Zhu but that is precisely the point. Yes. <clears throat> no, that no, that is the point. Look, my view on higher education has now, especially with the, the, quote, elite schools, they are merely credentialing services now. That's it. And that's what they are. Seriously. I mean, I, I, I've talked with, I, I'll never forget, I did an interview with um, uh, Kurt Schlichter, retired colonel. I mentioned him yesterday as well. But he, you know... He comes from this pedigree. J.D. Vance comes from this pedigree. When you read the book, Hillbilly Elegy, you realize like how much of that world is simply a credentialing service. 
It's, you know, why... And by the way, this is not some, you know, new idea that I've just come up with, right? This was what the left said when George W. Bush ran for president. The only reason he got in was because of his parents, right? So it's amazing how people hold this, like, completely contradictory view in their mind. They have two different views of higher education at the same time, right? Just depending on who the target is that they need to attack. So I, I hold that view consistently. It doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. College is what you make of it. I believe it's way too expensive, and I believe it's too expensive because of the building campaigns and because of the administrative bloat. I don't think that the education is actually worth what people charge now for it. I think it is essentially, yes, a credentialing service for the students uh, and the parents who send their kids there, but um, I think it's also a, a jobs program for a lot of people that got degrees from these very credentialing agencies that now cannot find viable employment I mean, seriously, this is one of the... This, all right, I know I'm down the rabbit hole here. I was going to just mention this story and then move on, but I'm down the rabbit hole, so I might as well just finish it out, which is if um, you, know, you want to bring down the cost of college education, okay? If, if you really are interested in doing that, simple, humble uh, 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 suggestion here from me. Make the colleges back the loans, right? Make them back the loans. Make them the ones that are on the hook. Just allow the students to discharge the debt in bankruptcy. So you can have all of these kids that go to college and spend $60,000 a year for a degree in, you know, 7th century basket weaving that then cannot find employment with that degree, cannot make a living, can't pay back their student loans, they declare bankruptcy, and guess what will start happening? People won't be offering loans for those programs. And if you put the colleges on the hook for the defaults, guess who stops offering the programs too? Things things would look a lot different. And look, if you want to open a college that specializes in, you know, all of the centuries of basket weaving, then you could do that. Go for it. And all the basket weaving people would all be going to one college. All six of them. Anyway, just spitballing here. What do I know? I do know this. Well, I actually don't know this. I assume we're going to talk with the Speaker of the House after 2 o'clock. If not, we got other topics. It's okay. It's National School Choice Week. I'm having a running battle with a moron on Twitter, so we'll get to that, too. All up next. (laughs) 